Welcome to an encouraging word from Pastor Elliot Warren from Cross Culture Church in Houston, Texas. Jesus was crucified for every one of us in our sins, right? Y'all remember, we were going over this recently. He was crucified, and guess what happens? Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. So he was crucified, he was buried, and in just three days, he rose up from that grave. And he didn't rise up. Y'all remember Lazarus rose from the dead too, right? But Jesus didn't rise from the dead like that. Lazarus was brought back to life. And again, like I said, I'd love to just talk to Lazarus and say, Lazarus, what did you go through? What happened? You know, and so... (laughs) You know, anyway, Lazarus was raised back in his normal body. Jesus was raised up immortal. He was raised up in an eternal body. And when he was raised from the dead, that proved that his message was right, that he was who he said he was. God validated Jesus Christ by raising raising him from the dead, eternal, immortal, powerful, right? So that validated everything. And not only that, it proves there is a resurrection. Many people back then wondered about the resurrection. Was, is it true? Does it really happen? The Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in a resurrection. But Jesus said this is very clearly, um, there very clearly is a resurrection when he was here. And then, and then he rose from the dead himself. And the Bible shows us that just as he's been raised from the dead, Man, we're going to be raised from the dead. We're going to be just like Jesus is. Isn't that not amazing? He's the first fruit. And everybody who's put their hope in him is looking forward to that day. You know, if you're looking to this life all the time, you don't get so excited about Jesus. But when a lot of times when you have troubles and, you know, and things are happening, you go, you know what? I'm going to start focusing on God, something eternal, something that can never be shaken. And then guess what? God begins to get bigger and bigger. And I want to let you know, the hope in God is greater than any hope you could ever have in anything in this world. And uh, I want to encourage you all to go in that direction. You know, start putting your focus on God. But here, here Jesus has risen from the dead. And the first person he appeared to was, anybody know? Right. I saw Sherry just sort of speak it out. Mary Magdalene, right? This woman, I think it's interesting the way the Bible says it. You know, the first person he appeared to was Mary Magdalene, the woman that he cast seven demons out of. Isn't that interesting the Bible says it like that? You see, when you have an encounter with God and God does something in your life and he touches you, you become very aware of that. You remember one time Jesus said, you guys, you don't even think you need to be forgiven of anything. You know why this woman is cleaning my feet, which was a custom back then, because your feet would get dirty with her tears and her hair. You know why? And she's crying because the one who's experienced forgiveness much loves much. But you guys haven't had that experience. You think you're strong. You see, and this is something interesting. The more you realize you need Jesus, the more you realize your life has been filled with pride and self-sufficiency and sin and, and selfish ambition, the more your eyes are open to that and you recognize how much Jesus loves you and you're forgiven, the more powerful 
your connection is with Jesus and what he's done for you. The more you love him. Anyway, I believe that's what had happened with Mary. And you see, they, they, you know, the disciples are coming. They want to see the empty tomb. They, they go, Mary's lingering, right? And guess what happens when she lingers? Jesus shows up. I don't think there's any coincidence to that. I just believe God's showing us something there. The one who loves him so much. These other men, these 11 disciples, they have the responsibility. But that doesn't mean they love Jesus more than anybody else did. Do y'all see what I mean? You don't have to be called to be an apostle to love Jesus. You don't have to be called to be an apostle or a pastor or a preacher to have an encounter with Jesus. All you need is to want to to experience him, to love him. She's there waiting. Man, it's like the tomb's empty. She just can't leave. Peter and John left that tomb. Where do you think he went? And then Jesus shows up to the one who's longing for him, who's been worshiping him. And I just want to guarantee every single one of you, if you're hungry for God, if you want more of God, He wants you to have more of Him. And He will show Himself to you. He might show Himself to you more than He shows to the great preachers, to the people who seem to be so anointed and so used of God. All it takes is you wanting Him and wanting to worship Him. Amen? Y'all just sound too excited about that. So anyway, he shows himself to Mary. Then he appears to the eleven after that. And it says that he rebukes them for their hardness of heart. What an interesting thought. These disciples have not been able to believe. And then they were slow to believe. And we get on Thomas because we go, Thomas is the doubter. He's the one that's, you know, he's the last one. Every time Jesus showed up to the disciples, Thomas wasn't there. He'd go to the bathroom. He'd come out and they'd say, Jesus was just here. You missed it. You know, he missed it. he's like, I can't believe you guys. I'm not going to believe it until I see it. Y'all remember that? So Thomas is known for that. And then he sees and, and, he go, and Jesus goes, touch me, Thomas. You don't believe. He says, oh, no, 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 Lord, I believe. We make fun of Thomas, but all the disciples were like that. None of them believed until they saw it. And what's interesting to me is that the Pharisees had said, y'all remember Jesus said he was going to rise from the dead? We need to put a guard on the tomb. We need to put a guard. But the disciples, they're not even thinking about that. And that just shows us something very clearly there. You can be so discouraged when God didn't come through the way you thought he was going to come through. You miss out on what God wants to do, and you're not ready when God finally is ready to do something. I think so many people are believing God, they're excited for God, and then something happens in their life, and they become disappointed. They, be, they become hard-hearted. They're not believing. they got an attitude that's preventing them from believing God for a miracle. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? That shouldn't have happened. Why? I wasn't expecting this. This isn't the way God should have come through. And God is like, You've got to get over that disappointment because I've got something bigger for you. I've got something more, but it's on the other side. And I want to encourage you. Maybe you've had something happen to you that shocked you. You didn't think, it. you know, how could God let something like that happen? Maybe God disappointed you. Maybe something didn't work out. I just want to say sometimes you've got to be willing to let that go 
and to put your hope in God again because maybe you don't understand what's been going on. Maybe you don't understand the dynamics of life and maybe you don't understand what God's got in front of you if you'll just be willing to hope in the middle of your disappointment. Anyway, he comes to these people. The very disciples can't believe because they've been so hurt, so broken, so disappointed. He's got to physically show himself to all of them. That's pretty amazing. Just think about this. Later, they've got to depend that people are going to listen to their testimony without physically seeing Jesus. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? And yet they've required it. Anyway, discouragement can do something serious to us if we don't get over it. Then after he tells these, convinces these 11, the Bible says that over a period of 40 days, he appeared to 500 people. 500 people he appeared to over the next 40 days after the resurrection. Not only that, but it says he spent time with his disciples, teaching them about the kingdom. A lot of people have wondered, what was he teaching them? I wish I knew. I wish I knew exactly what he was saying about the kingdom. I wish they'd written a book about what Jesus taught those 40 days in particular. But we don't know. All we know is he taught them about the kingdom. So, and then, and then he, he goes up uh, in the cloud, right? He's received up. They're watching him. They're watching him go. And two men, probably dressed in white, right? Say, you see the way, why are you looking at Jesus like that? They're watching him go. In his body, spiritual, physical, whatever, his body, his body, that's immoral. And they say, you see him going up like that? Why are you looking at him like that? Guess what? He's going to come back just like that. (laughs) What a picture they gave. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. It's been a long time, but he's coming back. He's coming back. It's amazing. It is amazing. I hope you're looking forward to that. Maybe we're going to see that happen. Some people are looking at what's going on in the world today, and more and more people are going, maybe maybe we're in the end times. I mean, the the last hour of time, so to speak. And uh, so many things are look like they're lining up with certain things. I don't know. All I know is we should always be ready for the return of Jesus. Always. Amen. Anyway, so 50 days, or 10 days after he goes up, 50 days after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit's poured out. There are a lot of people. It's one of the Jewish feasts. We call it a feast. It's a a big remembrance. It's like a time when they come to worship the Lord and remember God. And this was the Feast of Pentecost. And on the Feast of Pentecost, Uh, Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit that day. It was powerful. They've never experienced anything like that before. Man, it shook the place where they were. Um, They began to speak in tongues. They looked around. They could actually see like fire on top of their heads. uh, And they're like, wow, this is amazing. I mean, they were charged with the Holy Spirit. Peter stands up in front of thousands of people that day. He stands up. And he begins to preach and he says this to a large crowd. God spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ. This is part of his message. He tells them that they needed to repent. He tells them they need to return back to God. And now he's given the backdrop. 
And he says, God told us about what just happened. You see, these people had rejected Christ. Now he's risen from the dead. And now there's all this life. And Peter gets up and preaches, this man you crucified, guess what? That was the Christ you crucified. But now he is risen from the dead, just like the scriptures said. And he quotes the scripture, Psalm 16, 10, where it says that the Messiah, his flesh would not see corruption. And he says, this Jesus, God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. And it's so interesting to me. They preached that day and no Jews argued back that day. Think about it. Think about it. No Jews argued back that day. You know what's going on? The tomb's empty. It's been empty for 50 days. There's no body. They can't find a body. They don't know where Jesus is, right? Um, there are 500 witnesses that have seen Jesus walking around. 500. They could tell this day Peter and the other 10 and the 500 meant what they said. Now, you can think one guy's crazy. Isn't that right? You hear it from a bunch of people. Now, y'all know when you can tell somebody's into something. And now sometimes you can't tell if they're lying or telling the truth. Some people are pretty good at it. But there's sometimes when it just comes out of a person's the depth of their being. They're telling you something. You know, they're telling you the truth. Well, they heard it from one. Peter preached. They're hearing They've been hearing it from others. It's becoming overwhelming. And the Spirit of God is there. They believe these people that were the ones who crucified Christ, their eyes are open that day. They believe. It's amazing. 3,000 people gave their lives to the Lord that first message. Is that not crazy? Crazy amazing. So, then this... You know, this message was preached all over the world. You remember the last thing Jesus said right before he goes up? Take this message. Go into all the world. Make disciples. Preach this gospel. Make disciples of the whole world. And that's what they did. This same message. The same message that Peter started with. The same message that Paul preached. It's still preached today. And what is that? We've all sinned. We're all guilty. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows we're accountable for God. to God for what we've done in life. You know, that's something that I have realized. And you have to ignore your conscience to not know that's true. I can talk to people all over the world and just say, you know, you've done wrong things, right? You've sinned. Now, there's some countries where the concept of sins, you have to really explain it. But people know they've sinned and done something wrong. And not only that, they carry that guilt on the inside of them. They just can't walk away with it. They know they've done wrong and it's alive on the inside of them. And you know why? Because somehow they're still guilty and they're accountable unto God. But guess what? God loves us so much. The Bible says he did not want us to die in our sins. So what did he do? He had to do something. He sent his son, the only payment, for sins. Now, I want to just mention that really quickly here. There is no other payment for your sins. There's nothing else valuable enough 
to pay for your, your sins. You can't give God money. You can't give him works. Could you imagine someone going to the judge and saying, well, I killed a few people, but I got some, I have millions of dollars and I'm going to serve a whole lot, do some good things. Judges say, well, I'm merciful, but that's not justice, right? The only way we can get into heaven was the price to be paid for us. That's the only thing that would be just. And God knows it. He cannot break justice. So what did he do? He did the only thing that could be done. He sent his son to pay the price. Man, that is an amazing thing. Do you think Jesus would have come down here if there could have been some other way we could have been saved? No, he'd said, I'm not going. That would be crazy. There's five, a hundred other ways they can get saved. Even two other ways or one other way. Do it that way. No, but there's no other way it could happen. So Jesus, because of his love for you and for me. But, and I want you to think about that, how much he loved you. How much God demonstrated his love in this work. He sent his son to die for your sins that you could live forever. Man, so that you might be connected back to God. So that you can have a way to turn back to God. You see, for everybody who wants to turn back to God, give their life back to God, and be saved for eternity, God's made that available. That's really phenomenal. Everybody won't turn back to God. Some people keep going their own way. Some people don't want to believe because they don't want to measure up. But other people, like I can remember when I... I can remember I used to be religious and play around with God and somehow God struck me one day, so to speak, and the light came on and I just realized God says you give him everything. You're just turning over everything. You need to quit playing religion. It's not just about coming to church. I went to church regularly. I prayed, I think, every day. Sometimes I'd pray, I mean, go and talk to God for a while, you know, but I wasn't really right with God, you see. And the light came on, and I just believe that was God's grace to me, showing me you need to turn. It's not just about religion. It's about a completely new life. God says when you give your life to him, you become what? Born again. You are a new creature. The old thing's over. You don't want to sin anymore. You don't want to go back to the old thing anymore. God makes you a new life. Amen. And something on the inside of you, if you mess up, there's something going, no, you can't do that. And you go, oh, I'm sorry, God. And you start to get back on course again. Amen. Now, I want to go through something. I want to I want to just touch base just a second for what we were talking about last week, which was Palm Sunday. So we looked at Palm Sunday and what how it began. But then we went or we were going to go from there through a process of to the resurrection. And from Palm Sunday to the place of resurrection, Jesus went through some of the most intense forms of rejection and suffering anybody has ever been through. And... The reason why I want to go through this today is because it says in Romans 8 that if Jesus rose from the dead, the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you who are born again, and that power will give you life, okay? Okay? 
And so where you've got wounded areas, hurt areas, areas of rejection, the resurrection power of God wants to come and, and deal with that, break that out of your life. And God wants to fill every void in your life with the power and the presence of the Lord Jesus. That's a very real experience. And I will tell you, the greatest need, whether you realize this or not, is to know and understand and be filled with the love of God. God can come. God can forgive you of your sins. But until you know the love of God for you deep, deep down, you can't be fully made whole. Do you see what I'm saying? And Paul said this. He says, I pray for you that you would know the length and the depth and the, you know, the, how deep and how wide, how long, how, you know, what I can't even remember the four different terms. But he said, I want you to know how great God's love is for you. And he also said that ought to be the foundation of your life and of everything that's about you. The love of God and you know, in the love of God, I'm telling you, it's important anyway. I want you to know Jesus has connected with you with that. And the resurrection power of God is available to minister to you for that. Now, as I mentioned, he went through rejection. And I, I love to bring this up because rejection is one of the most common experiences of man. It's said that uh, um, if you live any time whatsoever, you've experienced rejections somewhere. Right. I could ask, uh, you know, how many of y'all have experienced rejection? Some of you wouldn't want to raise your hand because you're afraid you'd be rejected for doing that. Just joking. But I believe I believe every single one of us in this room has experienced rejection many times, many situations. And and it's something people need to get healed of. But I, I just want to mention a few of these ways you might have experienced rejection. You can be rejected by your peers in whatever group. It can be from your childhood. It can be from your classmates, things that people said about you, how they made fun of you. Um, how, how they made fun of how you looked, how they made fun of maybe how you, how maybe a bad grade you made or something you did. Maybe you can remem remember something you did wrong and you were sh it's like you were shamed for it. Maybe when the, they were playing basketball and picking teams, somehow you weren't the one picked first. You know, maybe actually you didn't make it on either team. And they said, hey, we'll let you come in when somebody passes out, you know, or something like that. You know, maybe you didn't feel liked or popular at some time in your life. It could have been when you're in school. It could have been later in life somewhere. Maybe somewhere in life, just somehow you didn't, you didn't feel popular. It might be because you didn't get a job. Some people feel rejection because they want, they want a job and then they're going after it and somebody else gets it. It's like, man, he didn't like me. They didn't think I was good enough. They rejected me. And uh, people who've gone through that process of trying to get job after job and somehow they keep getting told no, they feel that rejection. One of the greatest things is rejection from a boyfriend-girlfriend experience. So many people have these little experiences, even when they're, you know, in middle school or whatever. Some, some boy or some girl rejected them, didn't want them, you know, and then, and then they, they begin to feel that. And they can remember that years later. Something that happened to them, right? Another way that people get 
feel rejection is by going through a, a bad marriage. Sometimes, you know, a, a spouse will cheat on them. That, that makes a lot of people feel rejected in a terrible way. A lot of times a spouse will leave and divorce and go be with someone else. The feelings of rejection can be immense and intense for someone that's gone through something like that. And we've all been through these kinds of things. And I just want to say to you, Jesus wants to touch your life. And if you have not been healed of those things, you need to be healed of those things. And God wants to bring you out of that into a full place in life where you can experience God to the fullness, okay? Now, I want to just mention some areas so you can learn about what Jesus went through, but also you can see how Jesus was rejected. And we're just going to mention a few in that week. And then, and then I want to pray for you and believe God to touch your life. And I believe God to really reach out today and touch your life where you've experienced rejection. And I, I just I want to mention this before I get into this message. But, you know, where you have rejection or any kind of something on the inside of your soul, you're not functioning right. It bleeds out of you. It bleeds out in the way you hear other people say things. It bleeds out in how you respond to things. It bleeds out in how you feel. It, it, just, it comes out of you. You might not even realize it. Sometimes you might go, what's wrong with me? Why do I act the way do I, that I act? Why do I respond the way that I respond? And I just want to tell you that many times that's just something God needs to heal deep in your soul. Amen. Anyway, one of these, as I mentioned, is rejection. And here we go. Let's learn about Jesus. All right. The first thing I want to mention where Jesus was rejected is actually where he was rejected by the Jewish leaders. These Jewish leaders, the very ones who are supposed to accept the Messiah and teach everybody else about the Messiah and how to live the law, are the very ones who rejected Jesus. Now look in John 12, 47. It says, The chief priests and Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do about Jesus? This, this is, blows my mind what they did. They're here, they're talking, and you know, they came together and 70 of them, or 71 came together, okay? And so, uh, for this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everybody's going to believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to him, You know nothing at all, nor you do, do you consider... It's expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. And from that day, they plotted to kill Jesus. Now, you might not think, you probably heard this so many times, you don't even think that's like anything special. I want you to think about this for a minute. Here are the leaders of, let's just call it the church. It's not the church, but we can relate to it by calling it that way. Let's say the leaders of the church meeting together, talking, upset. You know what? Man, that person's working miracles. They're doing this. They're doing that. They're going to mess up our ministry, take away our positions, mess up our situation. 
Maybe they'll get the government upset at us. They're doing so much. So many people are turning to God. Maybe we'll, we'll lose our, our uh, charity status. Man, we have to do something about this. Imagine. Okay, so they were there in that culture with men. Imagine that we've got a big ministry and there's 70 men there with me. And I say this to 70 men and I say this and you're in that group. If you're a woman, pretend you're a man just for a second. If you understand what I mean. In this culture, you have to watch it. Now, I don't mean, you know what I mean. In this group, just pretend you're a part of that group. And I tell you, let's, let's just kill them. Think about being a part of that group. And everybody looking around going, yeah, okay. These are the religious and the political leaders of the Jewish nation. This blows my mind. I mean, seriously. Isn't it hard to believe that I can believe a leader could do that? I could believe a little handful. Can you believe that corruption can possibly get that deep? Do y'all see what I'm saying? I just want to say this. There is nothing new under the sun. The same power that corrupted them corrupts leaders today. The same power that got a whole group, a large group of people to go along with their corruption. Something that Mary and Joseph and every normal God-fearing Jew would have never done. And I believe they would have not even believed that kind of thing could happen. Here it is. It's happened. And I believe the same force works today to corrupt men, to corrupt governments, to corrupt nations. And I believe if we were to see the level of corruption that happens in the world, we'd all, every single one of us, be on our backs with like, oh, I can't believe it. All of these 70 people, or however many it ended up being, could have been more, I guess. In on this. It's a good thing. I can't believe it. That's, they're saying it's a good thing. And I just would mention this too. These were religious leaders. You know, corruption can come in the church. Anytime somebody starts to try to preserve their kingdom, and it's not God's anymore, corruption comes in. Corruption comes in. When you're not willing just to say, God, it's yours, corruption comes in. You remember God established King Saul? He was a good man. One day he goes, I'm not going to do it God's way. I got to hold on. And God goes, hmm, wish you hadn't done that. He became corrupted. He ended up killing, trying to kill the ones who had the anointing later. Y'all remember that? Y'all with me? So I just want to ask you here. Have you ever had a great injustice carried out against you like Jesus did? By these rulers, they connived and plotted against them. Maybe your parents did something against you. That is hard to believe, but it happens. Maybe teachers did something against you. Maybe your boss did something against you completely unjust. Absolutely uncalled for. Maybe the justice system in this country or whatever country you grew up in 
has done you wrong. The very system that's supposed to protect you took advantage of you. Let me just say, Jesus can identify with you. He knows exactly what you're going through. And God wants to heal you from that. Second thing I want to mention that happened, trodden right along. Simon, could you slide that little thing that's behind your neck a little to the left so that I could see it? Yes. <laughs> you were like almost perfectly, your head was just like right there. The second rejection I want to mention is when one of his own, one that he called friend, betrayed him. Jesus says this before he was crucified. He told his disciples, the one who dipped his hand in the dish with me is going to betray me. Now, what does it mean to dip your hand in the dish? Well, I'm from the south, so I just figured like he's got a biscuit and there's some gravy in the middle of the table, right? So he's, he's got his biscuit in there. And his friends, they're having fun together. When you're eating together, you're fellowshipping. So they've gotten their they've gotten their biscuits in the gravy. And they're eating together. He goes, and I think it had to be a painful thing. One who's dipping in the in the bowl with me. We were eating biscuits and gravy together. You remember we were hanging out? He's gonna betray me. They may not know who that was. I did my biscuit with him today. You know, the other disciples, was it me? You know, and then the, the day Judas comes with all those guys to turn him in. This is the one that turn. You remember he's going to betray him with a kiss. Jesus looks at him and say, what are you doing here, friend? He calls him friend. And I think it's because there was some kind of relationship there. You see, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him but he still loved him. He still had a friendship with him. That's really crazy to me, to love and befriend somebody that you know is going to betray you. Whew. I mean, I was thinking if I'd be Jesus, everybody would be saying, all the other disciples, hey, how come Jesus always treats Judas sort of funny? You know, but no, Jesus loved all of them. And I believe that it hurt, even though he knew he was going to do it. I believe it hurt Jesus when Judas betrayed him. He loved him, and he called him friend. So I want to ask you today, because I think, I think if you've been betrayed by somebody, some, maybe somebody's lied behind your back, somebody's gossiped about you that was your friend, they said things they shouldn't have said, and, you know, they, they turned against you, Jesus understands that. I believe it's one of the most painful things you can have. I'm telling you, I've had that kind of thing happen to me. And you just scratch your head going, why? Why would somebody do that? Of course, we know why G Judas did it, right? 30 pieces of silver. You know, I was thinking, Delilah, it, I mean, it cost 1,100 $1 pieces of silver for her to betray Samson. <laughs> Judas wasn't a good negotiator. He, he just got 30 pieces of silver. But why is he doing this? He's not thinking about Jesus. He's got his mind on the 30 pieces of silver. He's not thinking about what Jesus is going to go through. He's thinking about himself. And I just want to say, you know, we always will, so to speak, sell Jesus out when we just start looking at other things about what we can get, what we can have, 
We put Jesus way to the side and we don't realize how we're hurting him. Are you all with me? But anyway, that's what happened there. He was betrayed by his good friend. Okay. next thing he was put in this sham trial. You know, this is another every one of these things would make us so upset. We'd be throwing up our hands in the air if, if unless you're very spiritual. God, why did you let this happen to me? Well, God, why is this happening? Then he goes to a trial. Now, we all think trials ought to be just, right? And justice is going to be served in the trial. That's not always the case, sadly. This particular trial was not meant to f- discover the truth at all. In fact, this trial, the whole purpose of the trial was to actually obscure the truth. Imagine being part of that. He's going to a trial where they're not trying to find out is he guilty or is he right. They're trying to make him, the, the purpose of the trial is to try to make him look guilty and is try to make them look like they are concerned about justice. We are concerned about justice. Oh, justice has to be done. Oh, justice has to be done. He's guilty. He's guilty. He's guilty. They did it over and over. And they brought him in there. They brought in these men who began to testify against him. I can't stand that. I cannot stand this, that these people are there lying about Jesus. They will get on the stand and lie. And I want to tell you, I believe most people, it's just hard to believe. And I'm this way. It's hard to believe anything like this ever would really happen. Right. And, you know, oh, it'll happen sometimes. They had one person after the other come in. The testimonies were so crazy, though, they couldn't sell them to the public. So they had to wait until they got a better testimony. And it says, finally, two of the guys came up with something. So now they've got what they need by the law, so to speak. Two witnesses telling the same thing, which they twisted something Jesus said, made it look like it was something he didn't really say. And what, it, what was it? They said, Jesus says, I'm able to destroy this temple here and rebuild it in three days. They twisted what he said. Jesus was, of course, using that as an illustration of something deeper, right? He was talking about his body. But anyway, I want you to remember those words, all right? They're going to come back in just a minute. But I just want to ask you this. Have you ever had somebody lie about you? Did it hurt? Have you ever had somebody spread mistruths about you? Did it hurt? Did you ever have somebody gossip about you and say things that were not true? Did it hurt? Did you go, why would you do that? i tell you why. They want what they're going to get out of it. They want the position. They want the acclaim. They want the new friendship they're going to get. They want the new position of power. Maybe they want money. Maybe they want to advance in the company you're a part of. So if they would put you down, they'll think they're going to go up. You ever hear of the crab syndrome? That's, you know, you put a, crabs in a bucket if you've ever gone crabbing. How many of you have gone crabbing out of curiosity? Oh, a few of you. Like two of you. No. You ever put the crabs in a bucket? What happens when one wants to get out? The others pull them down. You know what? 
Some people are always pulling other people down because they think that's the way for them to get up. And you see, people will put you down, they will malign you, and they always do it thinking they're going to get something out of it. Jesus knows exactly what you feel if you've had that happen to you. He knows exactly what you're going through. He can identify with your pain. There's hardly any kind of rejection you've had that Jesus hasn't had it in some way or some form. And then Pilate did him wrong. Even Pilate, this Gentile, right? They send him to Pilate to crucify him, right? Pilate to crucify him. Guess what? Pilate sees him. Pilate knows he's innocent. Pilate's got the power. He knows he's innocent. He knows he didn't do anything wrong. He knows he's guiltless. His wife has a dream from God. Don't do anything to that man. Don't have it. He's not guilty. He's innocent. He knew it. God was even warning him. But guess what? The Jews insisted. And he didn't want any trouble with the Jews. He didn't want to mess. So he just washed his hands of it. And let him be crucified. That is so sad. So sad. This man had the power to do right. He knew they were doing this man wrong and he did nothing about it. Have you ever been in that situation? It's got to be one of the most devastating things to be in a situation where there's somebody that can help you and they just go, I'm just not going to get involved. And they don't get involved when they know you need help. One of the worst situations that I've heard, and I've heard it more than once, and it's unbelievable, is when somebody comes and says, when I was growing up, it almost makes me cry thinking about it. My stepdad, or even my dad, would abuse me sexually or physically. And my mom knew about it. And she never did a thing. You see, I I don't know what hurts more. That your stepdad or your dad even would do something like that. Or that the other person, your mom or whoever in your family, knew about what was going on and didn't step in for you when they could have stopped it. I think that's one of the greatest disappointments people have in life is they remember something that happened. Somebody had the power to stop. They knew it, and they didn't step up to the plate. They're like, you know, I just don't want to get involved. It's going to cost me too much. It's going to cause trouble. It's going to do this. If you've ever gone through that, I just want to say, man, I'm sorry that happened to you. God loves you so much. God's been through your pains. He knows what you've been through. He knows your experiences. And he wants to deliver you out of that. He wants to heal you. And then lastly, Jesus is finally crucified. He's up there on the cross. People are walking by Jesus. Guess what's happened now? You see, now the rumors, the things that have been said have spread everywhere. You see, it says people, the people are walking by him, 
wagging their heads. I can't stand that, by the way. I'll, I mention that probably every, every resurrection day. You ever see somebody wag their heads? I can't stand the pride that's in that. You know what I mean? You put the hands right here, and they go, <laughs> I go oh. You know what I, I just can't stand that. And then I see these people come to Jesus, and they're thinking they are right, and he's uh, guilty, and that he deserves what's coming to him. And he got what's coming to him. And they're looking at Jesus and they make the point. The Bible makes the point. They're wagging their heads. That's such an expression of pride. And in your face there. See there. In your face, Jesus, you get what's coming to you. Oh, rejection. And it's unjust. He hasn't done one thing wrong. But I want you to hear this what they said when they're wagging their heads. You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Where'd that come from? Where'd that come from? It came from the trial. Do y'all remember what the two witnesses said? Are y'all with me? What the two witnesses say? He said he'll destroy the temple. Build it back in three days. What's the word going out to everybody? Oh, he said it spread everywhere, the testimony. And the Pharisees are going, it worked. The false trial worked. The false testimony worked. It's spreading everywhere. Everybody's repeating it. What we accused them of. And I want to say, I don't blame the people. You know why? Look at this. There was a trial Well, you think, oh, due process. There were many witnesses against Jesus. There were two that said he did that, according to the law. He was found guilty. And many, pretty much all of our leaders found him guilty. You know what I mean? You'd have to be a conspiracy theorist to say Jesus is innocent. You'd have to say, look what they did. Look what they did. Look, hey, guys, seriously, are y'all with me? You look crazy. But that's exactly what happened. And Satan thought he had won. He really had. But in three days after that crucifixion, Jesus rose from the dead. And the wisdom that we didn't see before has now come out. And what happened in that cross that we didn't see before? They didn't see before? Um, and that's what I want to bring home to you today. This aspect of the power of the, the cross and the resurrection. That sacrifice is what we call a substitutionary sacrifice. That means Jesus became one thing or played out one thing so that you might have the opposite. You see, let me explain. He was cursed, the Bible says, so that you might be blessed. Whew. That happened because of the cross. Jesus was cursed. The Bible says he was cursed on that tree because cursed is any man who hangs on a tree. He was cursed. Why? So that you might be blessed. God wants to bless you. Can you get that in your heart? Jesus Christ died 
to give you deep blessings, serious, intense blessings. That means the Bible says he was made sin for us so that we might be made what? Righteous. Wow. He was made sin on our behalf so that we might be made righteous. He went through that, man, for our cleansing. He became poor so that we might be enriched in an amazing, deep way. He gave up and emptied himself of everything so that we can have the true fullness of God. And it is powerful. He died so that we might have life. And he was rejected so that we can be accepted. And the Bible says, by his wounds, we have been healed. It's really powerful. Now, I just want to pray for those of you that have experienced any kind of rejection in your life. Maybe from your husband, from your wife, maybe from your parents, maybe from a situation. And I can tell you now, there's probably, if, if you've experienced this, there's some things popping up in your mind. Y'all probably unavoidable, right? And, and I would just say, too, this is the beginning. We're going to pray, and I want to believe God to do something significant today. But I believe that this is going to be a walking out process because there's probably other little things that are going to start popping up at, during this week. God's like, every time you remember something where there's rejection and you remember it, you know why you're going to remember it this week? Because God's going, I'm bringing this up. I want you to bring it to me because I want to clean it out. All right. I'm going to pray with you today, but I want you to remember this prayer. It's just simple. I don't even have it like written out or anything except other than just what I want to pray. But it's just so simple. But you need to you need to do this at, through, through this process. But I believe God's going to do something today. And if there's something that's popped up today, I want you to bring it to God right now because God can deal with that in a major way and he'll want to remove all the residue of whatever's there. Amen? Well, let's pray. But I, and those of you that are here in this room, why don't you just stand here this, this morning? Just, just stand before the Lord and just see yourself before the Lord this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you. You died on that cross so that we might be free. You were rejected so that we could be accepted. You were wounded so that we could be healed of whatever we have been through. God, and I believe that, I believe your power is so able to heal, so able to restore our souls. It's not some kind of pipe dream that never happens. Lord, and we believe it today. Lord, we believe that just like you said in Romans 8, 11, the power of God works on our behalf today, that resurrection power. And it gives us what we need. It gives us life. It gives us healing. It gets deep into our wounds and dead areas of our life. And it brings healing. So God, in the name of Jesus right now, I'm asking you, Lord, what you know what people are just are already bringing it. They're, you're already bringing it to their minds. I just want you to acknowledge. You can whisper it to the Lord. Just somehow acknowledge it before God right now. God, you remember this. I remember this, God. Lord, you know I was hurt when that happened. 
God, you know how that hurt me. Just bring it before God. Make it real right now. The Lord Jesus is, he's listening to your thoughts. He's listening to your prayers right now. If you've been pained by someone and you still have anger and bitterness towards somebody, maybe it's a parent, a family member, ex-spouse, who knows? If that comes up, I just want you to say, God, I forgive them. I forgive them, Lord. I let that go so that I also might get healed today. You can't get healed with that cancer of bitterness in your soul. It won't work. So I want to just take a minute, just take a moment. Anyone that did you wrong, associated with those memories, before, before we go further, I want you just to forgive them right now. Forgive them for what they've done. Forgive them for the pain they caused. And forgive them because they don't know how much pain they caused you. They don't see what they did. They don't know how much they hurt you. They probably never will. But you can forgive them. It's not your job to let them know now. You just forgive them. Now, right where you are, whether you're at home or here, would you just symbolically just sort of lift your hands to the Lord, like to receive from Him? And I want everybody just to say this to the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, I present myself before you today. God, heal me of all these areas that I've presented to you today. Lord, you see my pain. You know my hurts. You know what I've been through. I forgive them for what they've done. But Lord, now I need you to heal me. God, go down deep. Touch my heart. Touch my soul and make me whole. I pray in Jesus' name. Now, while we're right here, I want you to pray one other thing. God will deal with that. But one thing that there's a void where that has been, wherever you felt insecure, wherever you felt rejected, insecure, God wants to fill that place with his love. For He wants you to... He doesn't want that just that place healed. It's got to be filled with the love of God now. And Paul goes, I wish above all things, I would just want you to do well. I, I want you to know the love of God. So I just want you to pray this prayer today. Father, please show me your love. I know you love me. Your love is bigger than any rejection I've ever experienced. Everything I need is in your love. Lord, open up my eyes and let me see how much you love me. Lord, let your love go so deep in my heart. Make it real. Lord, make it where nothing else matters. I want to enjoy your love. Lord, so I thank you for this hour. You're not just restoring me. You're filling me up with something fresh and new. It's a good day.
Thank you, Lord. You're going to finish what you started in me. In Jesus' name, amen.